Hey thinkers, welcome to this week's episode of the Thinking Podcast. I'm really excited to have Niv from Product Hunt on our episode today. So Niv runs the social channels for Product Hunt, one of the largest, I think the fastest growing communities that we've seen in recent days focus on tech products, but also just products in general. And I think they've just highlighted and surfed up some of the most interesting products over the last few years. And he also runs the newsletter for Product Hunt, which is the, the daily newsletter that really encapsulates. It's a great newsletter that really encapsulates some of the you know interesting news that's going on in the tech world. So excited to have you on and share your experiences and, and learnings from you know helping run and, and grow one of the biggest communities and in, in social channels and how to be you know a productive person like yourself. So happy to have you on. Happy to be here. Yeah, so let's just start from, you know, a little bit about your background, because I know that you got into tech in in an interesting way. So that might just be a good framing of how one transitions and, and enters the world of tech with not necessarily like a typical like engineering or computer science background. Um, yeah, so I started studying uh, business at UC Santa Barbara, got a business and accounting degree, Got a CPA. Um, <laughs> has that and, been useful? And the clearly, CPA? that skill set has led to what I currently do, which is a lot of emojis and gifts. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's actually interesting because I remember reading, uh, well, uh, Shoe Dogs from from uh, Phil Knight, and he yeah. mentioned that he likes people with CPAs and <laughs> uh, and, 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 and different like technical degrees or, or law degrees. So because like he, his point was that. At, at minimum, you like learn some technical skills and like were able to pass some competency in something. Do you feel like that's? It, I mean, it's clearly like different from like being like the emoji god of of, of Twitter. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, do you find any of that any any of that training useful? Uh, yeah, well, the number number one thing that it helped is learning how to learn because you need to learn a lot of stuff like it's all a big test and right. you have a and you have a pretty good general knowledge of business right in general it does not really help you with taxes <laughs> um, which is what people associate so because it's like a small section of it and you kind of do it for a test and it's not really learning how right. to do it but it gives you a very good understanding of business and, and learning how to learn which cool. applies to other things yeah and then so you started business and then you got the cpa and then how yeah so here's how that trend like how did you enter the, the yeah tech so world? i was uh, i was actually down the street on montgomery on one where well, at 101 Montgomery, which is where I used to work, uh, it was uh, I was auditing uh, hedge funds and then and then VC funds like later on. And the first and hedge funds I, I was really interested in. I did my senior thesis on hedge fund performance in college, and then the learning curve kind of like hit pretty quickly. So then the second year I got exposed to venture capital funds, and the first fund that I worked on is Lowercase Capital, which is now <laughs> rumored to be like the highest performing fund of all time. So it's yeah. like pretty interesting investments like Twitter, Uber, uh, all these are kind of brand names I started recognizing from popular culture. So then... Um, you were auditing their books. That, that must have been like kind of cool to kind of see behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then exposure to Chris Saka, like the, the silent, non-speaking member as a junior member of the team calls. Um, that exposure really helped because then I started like Googling him and like seeing all his YouTube videos and that's really what exposed me to, to tech. And even though I grew up here, um, I really had no idea what I was around until that period. Interesting. And so that basically opened it, your eyes to, hey, tech is something that's super interesting and exciting. And how did you pull the trigger to go from, 
you know, auditing so, like the funds and then becoming an operator and being on the startup side. Uh, if I'd known anything beyond, because I, so if I'd known anything back then, it would have been much harder to leave. But because I knew <laughs> nothing, I left to join my friend's startup at Huntington Beach, which was like working on some sports management like software, which sounded <laughs> interesting. And um, so I, I moved from San Francisco, left my job, um, moved to Huntington Beach was a really nice three months vacation, let's just say that. Okay. If I realized that was not a good, that wasn't gonna go anywhere. But that was that was a very key point because that got me to leave. And then once I left, then I could ex- think of what I wanna do and, and got further involved in startups. Right. But had it not been for the opportunity, then I would, would probably like It's easy to be the, stuck in that track, right? Yeah, because it's an extremely set track. And that's, like, that's why I got the CPA, because it's like, okay, well, what do you do when you get an accounting degree? What the next step is to there's a big exam that you have to do. So let's enter that competition. Like, and then you win that competition by passing. Then you the next thing. Let's get to the next level of the accounting firm. So right. it's a very, very set path. But yeah, the only divergent from it is um, is like leaving to be in industry, so to speak. So it's like working to go do accounting at a VC, which that back then sounded amazing that's like i'm glad i didn't go that path either so because <laughs> you would have been like a bean counter at like a fund which means yeah, yeah. yeah. which i mean i'm sure it's a very which, important yeah, job like for four i guess four years from now whenever that was right that sounded amazing that would right. have been like a dream job so right yeah so like you basically like let go from like the comforts of like a tracked sort of corporate gig and we're like okay i threw myself into a startup the first startup was end up like not like being a vacation and then and then yeah. and then you're at that point you're like okay and now then, i kind of get a taste for it what's so then i spent probably like the most um productive six month of my life not working and by productive i mean i read a ton of books just amazon anything that interested me i read i bought like five books on it read maybe one or two but i just read a bunch bunch of books started meeting people like more like slowly slowly kind of more relevant people and the the, the North Star was kind of like what Naval was doing in Angelist, which is kind of funny because now I, I work for him. Yeah. So um, that was like, and, and that's because I was interested in the how the private market market was becoming more efficient and Angelist was doing that by bringing transparency to the market and actually making it impossible to invest. So I wanted to meet angel investors and I knew nobody. And um, kind of slowly you start meeting more relevant people and and. Then it led to Naval asking if I want to get coffee one time because I wrote a post that says how much I like what he's doing with Angelist. And um, he just cold reached out to you like, hey, I like you. Well, I, I reached out to him like two weeks earlier because I wrote a post summarizing um, a talk that he gave. Okay. I kind of did that to meet people. So I would listen to their to like something I liked on YouTube, like an hour long, two hour long thing. And I'd write extremely detailed notes on it. It would take me like four or five hours to write them. But focusing on, on every word, pretty much I would write down, like transcribe it, you know. Right. But focusing on the words that much meant that I really internalized what they were doing, which mean I can kind of elaborate on it in a post. So it's kind of like half their thoughts, half me. Your reflection on yeah, their thoughts. Yeah, and kind of highlighting with images or kind of ma- making it content. And it's more consumable to have like a five to ten minute blog post in a, an hour and a half talk that most people don't have time to listen to. Yep. So I, I did that for him and then I emailed it. That was like the second I emailed them before, but it was like, that was like the first time I kind of offered value. It was like, um, hey, did this, um, is it cool? He's like, yeah, just change this thing quick here and then ready to publish. And then that kind of, well, that helped me get a job at DataFox, which is how I got my first real startup job because right. 
I didn't really have any skills to offer them and they're all called this like Stanford team and I and I was like oh, I want to work with you and, and I was really interested in what they're doing and um and then both of and both of us didn't really think was anything was going to come of it but then that post got a lot of traffic she was like hmm you can offer value I'm like hmm I guess I, I can offer value <laughs> so, yeah. so that's interesting so you basically yeah because I think you know after you know being in Silicon Valley you know and, and being in, in the community I think yeah it's interesting like I I remember like seeing your name pop up like a couple of years ago, just like you have sort of become like a pretty well-networked individual in, in, in this, in this, in this community. Um, and it's not like you just like grounded up from like, from, from zero. Right. Cause I think a lot of, like I, I came from Stanford and like, yeah. I definitely know it's like a big advantage. Cause like a lot of Stanford folks are just like running a lot of Silicon right, so, Valley. So, I mean, I, I wish I went to Stanford. It's, right. it's like the number it, I just walking around there gives me like chills. It's, it's such a, <laughs> a nice place. But then the way I could get, kind of get connected into that into that network was the DataFox team. All of all the founding team was were from Stanford, right? right? And I joined when when they were still at Stardex. So I right. got exposure to the Stardex networks network too. Right. So it's kind of plugging yourself into eighty twenty rule almost. Like you don't you can not that it, you can go to Stanford for four years, or you right. can like spend three months around Stanford people at Stardex and then. And show that you're you're smart, you add yeah. value. And that's and like, like little things. It's like I remember, for example, there's like a company called Game Time. Do you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember being like seeing them like give progress on their company at one of the startups things. It's like a totally random story. I don't think I've ever even mentioned it, but it just reminds me. So I got I liked what they were doing, and then I remember seeing Hunter Walk mention something about them or something like them on Twitter. Right. So I was like. I don't know Hunter at this point. So I called email Hunter. Hey, I, I, I can connect you with that person. And I, I assume they would like to meet Hunter. So, and I don't know either of them at this point. I've been right. exposed to them at like a, at a like hearing what their, their progress. And, right. And I know Hunter from Twitter or his blog. Right. And then I kind of connected myself to both of them by offering to introduce them. <laughs> so it's little things like that kind of that end up. So you basically did like, Two cold intros that ended up working out, where both people actually wanted to meet each other, yeah, and you yeah. started to build a relationship with both. Yeah, but like don't do investor. that. If, but don't do that unless both people would add, because then you're just you're Being taking. Annoying. You need to. You're offering yeah. value, so it's like you're, you're giving them, you're giving them value. It's not like you're asking them to. Do you want right? Take your time. So, so it sounds like you. Yeah, no, that's that's a cool just sort of background where you sound like you, you were just like keen on like building and being very thoughtful about it right like okay these are some influencers that i think are interesting i'm gonna like help i guess transcribe and like put reflections that are interesting on their content yeah. and they're like oh that's like a perfect context like a meet and like build relationships with these people yeah so i think a lot of people like junior people are just kind of like oh i just can you just can i pick your brain can i get mentored by you right and i think like everyone's just like picking your yeah. brain is like the it's like a death knell for any sort of ask right like no one wants to get their brain picked yeah right so i think it's like interesting you flip yeah. the script like hey i'm gonna come in with value on day one and then meeting meeting for meeting in person not that there's anything wrong with that but in and i do actually especially now that we work at evangelist and right and i have like a plate like i invite people i try to have lunch with someone invite someone for lunch right um almost every day but now so it's like kind of a good routine i've gone into right um but in general, meeting people that I don't know yet, like it's it's a big ask. Whereas if like interact with me twice on Twitter, like and then and then bring it up, right, would would go much farther than um, cold kind of asking to meet. Right. 
and then it's and it's okay to call the reach call it out to someone but ask something specific not something general like pick your brain so, right yeah 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 just be super tactical right because like these usually people are busy they they can answer like, one specific question but you're just like hey tell me about your philosophy on life it's like yeah. ignore <laughs> right so okay so you're at data fox and uh how, how did how, yeah, just, yeah let's just walk through like how, how did you end up you know to, to current day uh, so data Fox were there about a year and then it was they were kind of going more enterprise route and I was just for my Twitter Twitter and kind of general interactions was more the gif and emoji route which is <laughs> not that it's a specific route but it's kind of like you get the mentality so it's right. um it, it was time to leave and then so I left that in December of 2015 or 14 one, one of those two for sure <laughs> and um <laughs> kind of thought about what I want to do next thinking maybe like I like space stuff so I started like reading about like space and like helping my friend out at NASA Ames who has like a satellite company and but quickly realized I don't have a physics degree so that's not going to be it <laughs> and then all of a sudden Meerkat happened yeah and um and I found out about them on product hunt much like the rest of Silicon Valley yeah so Meerkat and, um, was like one of the fastest growing like it was a phenomenon for like a live stream for like a month or two yeah. completely and then it was pretty high profile for like six months and then periscope and facebook Boom. live it's like took over yeah. i mean periscope's like struggling ish too i hear but it's like i think facebook it's just hard live. i think live streaming is hard yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so it's i mean i've felt on that yeah. <laughs> i spent a lot of thinking about live streaming um, i think it's like more broadcasting based so that's why it's really smart that periscope and facebook live let people like stream their conference like they don't have to like stream the like the, from a phone they can just plug their professional equipment okay and it's asking and at the same time it's asking a lot for individual people to broadcast and perform most whereas something like house party which is what mirka turned into which is one of the it's one of the most popular options with teens right now in colleges and, and earlier is more of like live chilling they call it so it's like you're hanging out like you're doing homework together you're Right. Um, as opposed to performing to random people you're just hanging out with your friends right. which is much more natural yeah i think yeah i mean we could definitely dive into like all the thoughts around like live streaming because i think that's just like an interesting space right because i think multiple big tech companies think like that's like a big feature big product for them right like facebook twitter yeah. making big bets there. there's obviously startups like house party it depends who they want to get the, their audience right I feel like it, from facebook from a media perspective it makes sense Right. Um, from uh, the perspective of kind of what messaging is used for, which is like you know so popular with, especially with younger people, just right. for communicating. Right. It probably doesn't. Like, like house party is much more natural. So. Right. Or and like Snapchat. And they're copying that too. Like I was, I was on a on a Facebook group on Messenger, and suddenly it turned into in like a house party interface, like with like um, boxes <sighs> of uh, videos. I'm, hmm, they, they they clone that. Man, too. Facebook is yeah. a scary company. I think that like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're Snapchatter or like any other like social consumer app, but it's so fun. It's like, like it's, a, it's like a field day for content. It's like every like yesterday they cloned they made um, stories into WhatsApp. Yeah, so it's like all right, well, more jokes for me to, to tweet from on product. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good for, from a content side from, from on your side. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting point because you clearly are one of the you know, few people that probably see as much products in the world, right? You just, too much, that's too kind much. of your job, right? <laughs> like, I'm sure people are like saying, hey, check out my product, check out my app, check out this. Yeah. And you're just like getting all these like submissions all the time. Um, like one thing that I thought about 
uh, before building, you know, a company focused on human enhancement was, you know, I'm a, I'm a computer scientist by training. So one of my big theses has always been um, there needs to be fundamental hardware sensors that enables applications. So, for example, um, like a really high definition back facing camera enabled Instagram can take beautiful yeah. pictures A front facing selfie camera enabled Snapchat. Right. It's like you can very much, you know, take silly selfies and send to each other. Yeah. GPS enabled things like Lyft, Uber, these ride sharing things. Um, but I saw that the sensor innovation on mobile on our phones stagnated, right? Like our iPhone 7s are basically the same phones as iPhone 4s, but I like have just the same better phone for the past three phones. The same color, same, like the 6, 6s, and 7. Yeah, so it's like basically like the same sensors, but like order, a little bit like in, in, increasing in terms of like like number of pixels or whatever. Yeah. So I was like, hmm, the oxygen there in terms of like exploration space, right? Like everyone's like really, really smart. There's only like three or four or five different sensors that you can really play with. And everyone's like building permutations on top of it, like combining different combinations of like, oh, you do like disappearing location, disappearing photo, photo with location, right? Like you're just jamming all these potential combinations together. Um, So sort of when I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, if we believe in the idea that, hey, you need to have interesting hardware sensors to build interesting software on top, then if mobile sensors are stagnating or sort of peaking off, where are sensors really picking up? Like it's on the human body. It's all these wearables, all these continuous glucose monitors. So I was like, hey, that's an interesting area to explore. Yeah. I'm curious, like, so so that's like a, a theory that I've come up with. I'm, I'm curious from like your perspective after like seeing basically all possible apps that have launched <laughs> like do you have any sort of theories around like um there's a lot of white space outside of the phone right like if you're talking to someone like Greylock, right like their whole their theory is still mobile and, and there is a lot of innovation to be had on with apps in the phone I don't really think i still it. believe that i don't think there's a nine like it, okay. there's a lot of white space there but it's much much harder right to get to it whereas if you look at something like oculus or or a or AR. Or, I mean, or, do you, or, do you or actually believe that premise? I'd I like to just have a, that that debate or, or conversation. Like, I don't think there's that much white space on the phone left. Because no. I, I think like to to really take off, you need to be you need to beat people's attention for Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, WhatsApp, yeah. or, or like Pinterest or whatever the top five apps are. So it's just like you have these awesome, pretty aggressive companies like just swallowing up as much white space as possible. I totally agree. And then it's like, okay, you got to be able to be like, all right, my thing is going to like, com- like replace one of those like top five, right? Like you basically, I, I don't know so how you use you your phone. like that, it's much harder because then it gets me in a, in a state of mind of I'm trying to invent the next thing in my head, which right. nothing comes to mind. Right. But I feel like there's, <laughs> I, I've, I believe that we, some, there's still space to be there, just a very high bar. And... Well, that's why I think the theory around, okay, like, there's only so many hardware sensors and but there's all, like there's all like all thousands of kids apps, all those default apps right. that you just mentioned none of that exists yet for anything but the, other than the, like so the, the human body nothing is like standard yet right for for in terms of people what they do to monitor them monitor themselves right and what you guys do um in vr there's there's no real standards yet right there. so i think vr and human bodies like where like you're adding new sensors right vr is like this new you, i guess you have better like gyroscope sensors you have like a headset so yeah, so I, I agree there. Like I think there's more, much more white space into like the VR, AR world and in like biohacking world than like all right, let's build like another just pure like focus on the mobile 
app. Yeah, I agree. Because I think it's like, yeah, like, especially like the sensors, there's not like as many new sensors being built or if any sensors being built and then like existing pairs are super aggressive, right? Like yeah. it's like hard to compete with like a Facebook. I, mean, I think there's like that, way more. That, like, anything that takes off gets acquired. Yeah. So like in in a different world, like, well, Snapchat's still made. They're going public, but right. who knows? Maybe they'll get acquired like a day before that year <laughs> or something. But, right. but Instagram would have gone public, like Twitch would have gone public. All these right. big companies that like Amazon and Facebook and Google end up buying would just be public companies but now yeah it's like they're replacing the r&d almost of yeah. the public companies yeah no i agree i wonder if instagram founders like regret being acquired i'm sure they he do. said he hasn't but then... i don't know Is he, <laughs> i think he might be lying to himself honestly because he could have been like evan spiegel right like he could have yeah. been like being right there like competing instead of being like part of the part of the machine yeah but anyways i mean great outcome like i don't think any of us would be complaining about you know being yeah. a billion dollar outcome so i mean again that's like super hard to do let's talk about biohacking because i've been i've recently i wish i wish i well, i i think i should have probably gotten more interested in earlier because i was always interested in in neutralbox and, right. and i've been a long-time customer and yeah. uh and so i'm interested in that part but then all the, the fasting stuff and and meditation and mindfulness right and, and I, I feel like that's really taking off and a, reading uh, Tim Ferriss's new book, or yep. at least the first third of it so far, yeah, um, really made it apparent for me. And then, and then, like Kevin Rose launched uh, a fasting, fasting app. app. Yep, I feel like it's taking off, and I'm kind of noticing in more and more places. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it is definitely taking off, and I, and I think a couple of the key reasons why it's taking off are one, just like demographics. Like if you actually look at. Uh, humans today we're, we're we're really like the sickest group of humans in the history of humanity right like our, our obesity rates are up into the right alzheimer's diabetes up into the right and so like a lot of us are just really sick and then you have like an interesting group of people that are just like constantly optimizing themselves so it's like this weird like time in history for humans we're like all this technology like optimizing us like all our, all the sick people are kind of like being lifted up by tech and then some of the far out like hardcore people like biohackers are just constantly optimizing themselves um and i think that a lot of why you can start really optimizing today is because of the sensors like we can actually start continuously tracking your blood glucose for example and then you can have a real tight feedback loop of how fasting affects you how different types of diets or different types of nootropics affect you right so i think now like if you couldn't track these things, then it's like you're kind of throwing darts in there. But now that you actually have a number, you can actually start reinforcing and start proving to people like, hey, like my data is actually like improving. Like my data is like objectively better than you know someone else's data. Is that something you guys are gonna start doing, or you don't have um, an app, right? Or like some... um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know we we've piloted a, a, a chat bot where like we help people like go through the routines and, and stick to the routines better. But like in terms of like building out hardware, you know, we're not a hardware company yet. But like I think uh, continuous glucose monitors has been you know one of the interesting hardware pieces that we've been adopted in our community, where uh, like we all know that drinking like a soda is not great for you. But when you actually drink, like I was on a trip from to Boston, and usually like. Sometimes, like, that's my, like, guilty pleasure to, like, eat, like, a Burger King or a McDonald's at the airport. And I got, like, my big Coca-Cola, my Whopper, my fries. And that's wearing a continuous glucose monitor. And just to give you a sense, like, uh, 
you know, you typically want to be around like four to five millimolar per liter. It's just like some measure of your blood glucose. Yeah. Um, and like if you eat a meal, sometimes it goes to seven or eight. And then I, like I had, you know, my Burger King and it went up to like 13.7. It was like, holy crap. This is like the highest I've ever seen my blood sugar. And I think like once you have that number, you're no, you're no longer like, oh, like I kind of feel bad after eating that. Because like it's kind of heavy and sugary and yeah, whatnot. It's measurable results. Now you're like, oh <laughs> shit! Like this is like a real freaking thing where I'm like double like my my like for like a normal meal would take me. Would that? What about for someone who's not as optimized as you are? Like so, if someone who eats it here and there, uh, would would they see a big spike or be more of a general? Yeah, I think it spikes for everyone because like. Well, yeah, there's obviously a lot of variation per person, but yes, that's what like is happening to all of our systems because it is like, you know. 160 grams 100 grams of glucose which is a ton this could be like the new super you know like a super size me kind of made people stop eating McDonald's. yeah well this could be like the the biohackers way of like getting people to stop it well uh, yeah i think you actually look at your blood glucose because i think people don't realize that like how these metrics are changing right because like we're all kind of intuitively feeling these things and it's like good enough right people are like oh i i should avoid this avoid that but like once you see a number it's like a really good reinforcement factor yeah and then from there it's like and in, in, in just to give a little bit more of a bio lesson, like if you always have elevated blood glucose, that ends up uh, being type 2 diabetes, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's if you're always elevating your blood glucose and your insulin response gets mitigated, like insulin is the main hormone that pulls in sugar into your cells. So as you always have more and more glucose, you need more and more insulin, you have this like really negative feedback loop. So stupid question considering your audience. <laughs> so... How do I get started continuously monitoring this? Yes. So um, there's a couple of different ways to do it. So you can either do blood pricks, which I was just actually doing earlier today.